Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Dana Gooby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back to the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 51. That fight is headlined by Bilal Muhammad versus Vicente Luque 2. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card, as well as giving you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat. Plus, in addition to that, I'm always bringing you guys the interviews, kicking off the show this week. Ike Villanueva getting ready for his fight at UFC Vegas 52. That's coming up a week from Saturday. And then later on in the show, I'll be talking to Brandon Jenkins, who's fighting this weekend at UFC Vegas 51. But before we get to any of that great content for you, I do have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there right now, you can check out my bonus pick for each and every UFC event that you can only find on the Top Journal MMA page at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Alright, and joining me today is Ike Villanueva, who fights Tyson Pedro at UFC Vegas 52. That fight is on April 23rd. So, Ike, before we get into the questions about the fight, you just informed me before we started recording this. It's your birthday. What are you doing for your birthday two weeks into, uh, two weeks out of a fight right now? Oh, man, just doing what I've been doing for the past 15 years, man. Just training. Training, uh, man. In my passion for the past 15 years. It's a love-hate relationship, man, but it's my passion, man. My family supports it, my wife and kids. I wouldn't be here without them. But, hey, they know it's my job and it's what I love to do. So, hey, man, just another birthday while I'm still working, man. Blue-collar lifestyle, man. It's all it is. I love it. Now, you mentioned your son in there. I did want to ask, too, because your social media covered with your son's football highlights, wrestling highlights. I, I got to ask, yes, do, do, do we got another fighter in the mix one day? Is, is, that, uh, is he going to follow in Dad's footsteps? Man, I tell you what, man, I got two I got two boys, man. I got Isaiah, he's eighteen years old, and I got my stepson Anthony. Uh no, I tell you, Isaiah is a big tall monster. He's a six four, two eighty five, got the full ride scholarship to North Texas to play football. He's a hell of a wrestler, but like he tells me, he goes, Dad, I love to do what I do. He goes, uh I'll leave the fighting to you. So <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think it'll happen, man. My stepson's another football player, big ball player. Uh, they like to put their hands in the dirt. They don't like to get punched in the face. They love to do the hitting. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like, man, I'm at the hope on one of my daughters to pick up the fighting action. Man. I think my my little one, uh, Gigi, she's the last of the bloodline. Uh, she'll be the one that I think she's going to pick it up. She's a mean bully, man. I'm going to send her to Kayla, Hiller, <laughs> Kayla Harrison. well well i'm glad that you still got some hope out there even if those two don't want to now i also heard in an interview recently that you plan on having your son in your corner for this fight is that that correct as well uh yes sir man so um i've been fighting 15 years man i miss a whole uh my son's 18 
So he was three years old when I got going. I missed a lot of time with my son. And uh, as I was at a work project in Chicago during the holidays, and my son turned 18, I asked my son, what do you want? He goes, Dad, honestly, anything? I said, yes, son. What do you, what do you want to turn 18 and make me a proud father? He goes, I, I want to be in your corner for your fight. And he goes, I never got to. You know, USC, when I've been in USC, I've been in the COVID time. So my fans couldn't be there. My family couldn't be there, man. Uh, my son's been by my side through it all, man, uh, through ups and downs. And just to have him be there for my fight, it means the world to me. And I don't think he realizes the pressure <laughs> of being at a UFC event, especially at the Apex. Well, I'm just glad to have him there with me. That's awesome. And, and, you know, like you said, you've been through this journey for 15-plus for years at this point in time. You, you know, you not not only have you missed so much for him, but there's so much that he hasn't seen of your career and your life and what you've put into it, too. What, what is it like just knowing that you're going to be able to show him this other side of, of your own life that you've never been able to? Man, it's, uh, it's, man, it's a great, it's a great, man, because I tell my kids, all work pays off, man. And that's what they showed this year in the football, winning the state title. I'm real hard on my son, man, because I'm raising men. And my wife tells me all the time, man, you show tough love. It's just, I love my sons to death, but I'm real hard on them. And, but like that, man, with, man, it's just hard work. I tell my sons, it's hard work. And let my son see the weight cut in person and watch all that stuff. That's going to open his eyes and really show, that, damn, my dad's 38 years old, still pushing, still fighting these young kids coming up. And that's all I want to show my son. It don't matter how old you are, you put your heart into something and dedicate yourself, you can still do it. I love it. Now, I guess I got to ask you too, then you, you, you brought up weight cuts. I usually don't ask fighters too, too much about it, but you know, how's the weight feel a couple weeks out? Are you, are you right about where you like to be? What's it going to look like fight week? Oh, yes, sir, man. Oh man. Uh, Coach Hollywood, I got here at Main Street Boxing. He's been great, man. Give me down. Icon Mills taking care of me all fight camp. Yeah, I was in Chicago for the winter. And so being in Chicago, you know, all you need is hot dogs and pizza up there. It's too, damn <laughs> cold, to run. It's too cold to run. So I, I left February 1st at 250 pounds. Leaving Chicago at 250. I, was, I told Coach Bob, I'll be back, give a fight camp, and we got going. I'm leaving the gym right now at 220 pounds solid. So, man, I'm ready to go. I'm excited. Hey, man. Hey, it's just hard work, man. Here, let's get it, man. I'm fighting this young kid coming off ACL surgery. He got all the hype. Hey, man, let's go, man. Well, and I, I wanted to ask you, too, about prepping for Tyson Pedro, because you're right. Like, on one hand, young guy who's, you know, he's got tons of hype behind him. People have been talking about how he's, like, the future, and he's a guy who's coming up and all that. But it's also been three and a half years since we've seen him fight. So what is it like preparing for a guy who, yeah, did have a lot of hype behind him, but also there's not any recent footage on him because there aren't any recent fights on him. Exactly. I mean, I've been an athlete all my life, man. Football, rugby, I played I played the toughest sports. He's coming off one of the ugliest injuries anybody can come off of, man, coming off ACL injury for a kicker. I mean, so uh, God bless the dude. He came back. He bit down. He's coming back into action. Well, hey, man, you're biting the bone, and uh, he threw the bone at the wrong dog because, hey, this guy don't back up, man. So uh, I look forward to really – Hey, man, I'm going to meet him in the middle. Let's go to work because uh, he gets all the hype. And what I tell everybody, he is not Ty. He trains with Ty Tuivasa, but he's not Ty. And listen, I had to clear the air with that one because, hey, Ty Tuivasa is a badass. I give it to him. That guy, no matter how big he got, no muscle frame, but he buys it. That's my style. I'm the same way, man. Let's get down to gritty and let's throw down. But like I said, 
with Ty, you got all the hype, man. This fight is a fight for me to steal that shine and really come up with this fight. So I look forward to really putting our show coming up here in two weeks. And is that sort of the the style you see him bringing to this fight too? Like obviously that's the style you love. You love going in there and banging, and that that's why the UFC loves having you time and time again. But like, do you see Pedro b- believing that he can do that with you and, and wanting to do that with you? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think he'll look for a shot. I think he'll try to shoot or try to stay at bay. We know where everybody's at. I'm the, I'm the boxer one on one. The guys uh they want to kick. They want to kick. They want to throw their legs. I mean. Look, my UFC career, I had some, man, BS. I, I call it BS. Uh, shit didn't go my way, but, hey, I can really turn it around with this. He said, when I fought Pratnell, first punch I threw at Pratnell broke his world. And I really had that fight, and I let that fight slip away. So, man, I really got him in, bite down, and really bring that pain. You know, Tyson, he, he's just that baby. He's going to try to shoot, or he's just trying to throw the head kicks. Everyone, I'll be ready for it, man. I look forward to putting on the show. I'm just excited to see where we are on the card. Are we going to be on the prelims, the main? I'm just ready to get down, get to work. Absolutely. And so, you, you know, you said you, you think you know what he's going to do. You think he's going to shoot or look for that head kick or whatever comes first. But I want to know your prediction. What are you going to do in there? How does this one end on April 23rd? I, I believe I'm going to catch him in the second. I believe I'm going to catch him in the second. I'm going to come out and, uh, we're going to get through that first storm. We're going to bang. I think we're going to get out. It's going to get ugly, but we're going to bring it. Uh, it's going to be a hell of a fight. I look forward to it. He's real tall. He's real long, man. So, man, I, I can't wait to get inside and bang with him. But like I said, his power compared to my power, we're going to see it. I'm a guy. I'll eat your best shot and still stand in front of you. Can he do that? We're going to find out. Because we've seen a couple guys touch him and he folds. So, man, I look forward to really – Get in there and hey, we're gonna test our nuts right off the jump, and I can't wait to get in there. But I, I see me counter them in the second round to catch them. I can't wait to do it. I can't wait to get my hand raised. And we can't wait to see it. And once again, fans, this has been Ike Villanueva, who fights Tyson Pedro at UFC Vegas 52 on April 23rd. Ike, thank you so much for the time and, and happy birthday, man. Oh man, thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. You have a good night, brother. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Ike Villanueva. I once again have Daniel Gumby really enjoyed now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, so much to say about UFC 273. Maybe too much to say about UFC 273. We obviously had a very interesting fight, especially when it comes to scoring with, with uh, Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan. We had uh, Gilbert Burns and, and Kamzat Shemaev going to the brink. Obviously the main event, maybe a little less exciting, but... What was your most exciting moment from UFC 273, or maybe just biggest takeaway? Uh, biggest takeaway, I got to go with Burns and Chemayev, uh just as far as the ramifications for an already stacked division at 170. What we now know about Chemayev, because this was his first big test, and that's what he was looking for, and Gilbert Burns certainly gave it to him. Um, you know, I think there are two ways to look at this. I saw someone who clearly is at the tops of the division. It, it was no fluke that he beat up on, you know, some lesser talents uh, very quickly. But that being said, much like you don't know what you don't know until you see it, you know, he has some holes in his boxing and he is not the fastest of hands by any stretch of the imagination. So these are things that he now knows. 
he needs to work on, and I'm sure he already knew that and is rapidly improving upon them. He comes from a wrestling background. Cardio-wise, wasn't overly impressed either. I think the tops of that division, Colby and Usman, contain both of them have an almost superhero-like superpower in the cardio realm. So I would wonder if he was fighting either of them, how that would go in rounds four and five. But that all being said, it was an awesome performance. And I'm glad I got to watch it. One of the best three-round fights I've ever seen. What about you? Yeah, I I would echo a lot of the things you said. And it's funny to me because I saw a lot of takes of of people being down on Kamzat or lower on Kamzat. And and maybe it's just that I was lower on him than most people to begin with. You know, most people are talking about him being multi-division champion within the next six months. I, on the other hand, picked Gilbert Burns to win that fight. You know, like I, I didn't even pick Kamzat to beat Gilbert Burns. And, you know, I, I'm still not real disappointed with that pick at, at plus 350. You got to be happy with how Burns looked. But I'll say this here, too, is that I, I'm actually higher on Kamzat after that fight. Like, I, I think that he he showed that in a fight where he can't get somebody down, he is competent on the feet not just for a one-touch knockout like he did with GM3, but, like, he's competent enough on the feet that, hey, he beat Gilbert Burns late in that fight. You know, you got to give it to him there. He won the third round and ultimately won himself the fight. But I, I agree with you. I want to see, you know, they he mentioned the Colby Covington fight, or Dana White mentioned the Colby Covington fight, rather, in... I think that that's a fight that it makes a lot of sense, right? We already got Leon Edwards queued up for... Kamar Usman, he's been passed up 85 billion times. I think now is the time to make that fight happen. Set up Colby Covington versus Kamza. You know, Colby notoriously hasn't taken fights against guys like Kamza. But hey, the only way he's getting a third crack at Kamaro is through a guy like Kamza. And I don't know that he doesn't beat Kamza Chemaev. Like like you said, the the cardio, the pressure, the pace, the forward movement. Like, I, I think all of those things could possibly cause problems for Kamza, and especially the wrestling defense. So, um, yeah, ultimately, very intriguing fight, very exciting fight. Um, it obviously opens up tons more possibilities, too. Yeah, uh, last thing I'll say on Kamzat, I actually, first of all, I think he's going to be very competitive at 170. What a hot take by me, right? Uh, but he's very big for that division. And I still feel very confident picking Usman over him just based on style, the wrestling negating itself, just the way Usman can pour on a pace. I think his hands are a little quicker. But that being said, I am intrigued in a very wild, wild west kind of way in what Izzy versus Kamzat would look like. Because we know Izzy, while his takedown defense has certainly improved, but, you know, you think about Jan taking him down at the higher weight. If Kamzat got Izzy down, that would be a bad day at the office for Izzy. But that being said, if he stuffs the shot or gets it into the third and fourth round, I truly believe that Izzy would light Kamzat's face up like a Christmas tree. So you kind of have that old school UFC one through, you know, 30 uh striker versus wrestler in that regard um while both guys i think are proficient in the other's discipline like i think comes hands are pretty good and probably evolving and i think izzy's done really good at you know working on his wrestling or wrestling defense so that makes it kind of a better fight than what we would have seen you know at ufc4 they're more all around but certainly their superpowers are complete opposite you know what i mean yeah, and I think we probably, in an alternative timeline, and Kamzat 
uh, doesn't miss all that time to COVID and all the blood in his lungs and whatnot. I actually think that him going up to 85 would have been a quicker path to the title and probably a more favorable matchup once he got there. But ultimately, the problem for him is that time off and then choosing to take a couple of fights at welterweight, I think really messed him up because like while there weren't clear-cut contenders there up at that division for a little while, you know, like we, we were you know, debating a Marvin Vittori rematch or, you know, we did, you know, we're, we're getting rematches with Robert Whitaker and whatnot. Like, I, I think now they're starting to breed a new set of contenders that are going to be ahead of Kamzat should he try to change divisions, right? Like we got Alex Pereira, who everybody's very high on. You got guys like Nasordin uh, Imavov, who's on his way up. You know, like there, there's just dudes showing up in the bottom of that division who are going to make their runs pretty soon. I mean, even Chris Curtis is 2-0 and and just flatlined two guys in a row and has a pretty exciting matchup coming up. So, like, I think his time at 85 might come, but now is way less clear than it was like a year ago. Well said. All right, we'll touch on it very quickly. We're not even going to talk about Volk defending his title as we knew he would and great stoppage by Herb Dean. Uh, you great have to stoppage by of... Herb Dean. Great stoppage by Herb Dean is a sentence we're saying. <laughs> yeah. Great stoppage by Herb Dean when you're dealing with a zombie. Uh, you need to know when to stop it. But uh, let's just talk about Aljo very briefly. He came in with the better game plan, looked so much better than the first fight, uh, worked on everything. You know, There were no leg trips in this one from Piotr Jan, and I just thought Aljo fought such a smart fight. I even got the sense that he went down to um, tripod stance, you know, put a hand on the mat a few times just to even try to bait Piotr Jan into uh, maybe kneeing him in the head again, uh, which, you know, some people might think is like a a cowardly way out, but he's playing a sport. You know, this is not a street fight. And I found that Aljo just had the superior game plan and played the the match in front of him so well. I was very impressed, and it looks like it'll be TJ Dillashaw next. I'm not opposed to Piotr Jan uh, and Aljo part three. I just don't need to see it right away. How about you? Yeah, I agree with you entirely. I, I don't need to see it right away. There's so many exciting fights in this uh, this division, and I'll tell you this. I don't even necessarily need to see TJ Dillashaw versus Aljamain Sterling next. I actually would prefer TJ. Di- I I would prefer Jose Aldo. Joe, give me give me Aldo Aljo. Give me that shit all day long and twice on Sundays. And give me uh, TJ Dillashaw versus Piotr Jan because that's a fire matchup too. Uh, so like I, I think there are lots of matchups to be had at Bantamweight. It is literally the most exciting division in the UFC. So yeah. No need to run this back a third time. He looked good. For anybody saying it's a controversial decision, go back and watch for round one again. He won it, and he won it easily. Um, yeah, three rounds to two and possibly a 10-8 in the second. Uh, yeah, not not too much to say there other than he, he said that there were some problems with his weight cut the first time, and that really screwed him over. And you you don't tend to believe people when they say that, but hey, maybe he was right. Well, I'll tell you what uh, we're going to be right about, and it's our picks for fights, dogs, and parlays for UC Vegas 51. This card's taken a bit of a beating online, especially coming off of the awesomeness of last weekend at UC 273, but, you know, there, there are a couple of things in here that we could get excited about, so let's do that, Gumby. Let's, let's do fights, dogs, and parlays, our favorite segment on the show. But before we get into it and give some picks, One may wonder if anyone sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC Vegas 51. 
Absolutely Fight Second Parlays is brought to you by Double Nickels Sports Betting. Head over and check out Nichols at Instagram's at 55DoubleNickels55, where he will send you five picks each and every morning from the world of M- NBA, NHL, MLB, MMA, and tennis. And I'm not lying when he's saying almost he's hitting almost five every single day. And unlike those other guys who are trying to get you to tail their picks, he does far more than that. He hits you with tips and insights that consistently put him at the front of the game. And you can get his picks, get this, for just 10 bucks a day and as low as 4 bucks a day. There's no reason not to give him a try. Plus, if you mention our podcast, when you sign up with Double Nickels, he's going to hit you with a 10% discount. Don't delay. That's at 55DoubleNickels on Instagram. Double Nickels Sports Betting. All right. Well, we will start with the main event, which is a good main event. And the aforementioned 170-pound division has two potential contenders here. Uh, guys at the very tippy top of the division, uh, Jorge Masvidal, I think, is moving his way down the rankings. These guys have been moving their way up the rankings. Of course, they don't have the name uh, power and brand that is Jorge Masvidal, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see who comes out on top here. Vicente Luke's a minus 170 favorite. Belial Muhammad, a plus 140 dog. Vicente Luke, it's worth noting, it's been an interesting career in the UFC thus far. Debuted in 2015, he was on the ATT versus Black Villains, Ultimate Fighter. That feels like several different universes and worlds ago. Um, and he debuted to a loss to Michael Graves back in July of 2015 on the Ultimate Fighter uh, season finale. But then he reels off four wins in a row, runs into a guy by the name of Leon Edwards, who's now fighting for the title after a massive win streak of his own. So four-fight win streak, he loses the unanimous decision to Leon Edwards, comes right back in there, does Vicente Luke, and reels off six wins in a row before losing to a man by the name of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, somebody who's challenged for the 170-pound title twice in his career. After losing to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson back in November of 2019, he reeled off four wins in a row, which is his current win streak. And these are impressive wins, Gumby. A TKO over Nico Price, a KO over Randy Brown, the Darce choke on the former champ, Tyron Woodley, and a Darce choke on Michael Chiesa. We love a guy who's good with Darces going for his fifth win in a row. So after a four-fight win streak snapped by Leon Edwards, a six-fight win streak snapped by Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, he only has losses to some pretty big names in the division, and Belial Muhammad himself is on quite the nice win streak. Belial Muhammad, of course, made his UFC debut back in 2016. He debuted on a loss to Alan Joban, came back, beat Augusto Montano, and then lost to the aforementioned Vicente Luke. So this is actually a rematch. But after that loss to Vicente Luke, Belial Muhammad reeled off four wins in a row, lost to Joff Neal, and then reeled off. He's now on a 6-0-1 streak. So really six wins in a row. The accidental eye poke rendered Muhammad unable to continue when he fought Leon Edwards. Both guys on a win streak. Uh, Both guys have a few common opponents uh, between Leon Edwards and Stephen Thompson. Muhammad coming off a huge win over Stephen Thompson. Who you got here? I'm going with Vicente Luque. Look, I think a lot has changed since when these guys fought all the way back at UFC 205. That that was, you know, over five years ago at this point. But, like, fundamentally on the feet, I still think Vicente Luque holds the same advantages he held when he knocked out Bilal Muhammad. He throws harder. He uh, has a, a heavier pace than Bilal Muhammad. And in general, I think he's just going to be the one doing the damage. 
The difference in Bilal Muhammad's game since then is not so much with the striking. He's always been kind of a volume-based striker, a guy who's not going to knock a ton of people out. But also, like, you know, like I said, he's probably at a disadvantage there. And since then, he's added the takedown game, right? Like, he's ramped his takedowns up to 10. That's how he beat Steven Wonderboy Thompson. I just don't think you beat Vicente Luque by taking him down a whole bunch of times here, right? Like, you mentioned he's coming off of back-to-back Darius Choke victories. Like, do you really want to go tangle on the ground with him, Bilal? Ah, if you do, I think it's going to end really interesting uh, because I, I think Vicente Luque's probably got an advantage there too. I'm going to take Vicente Luque here. And, and actually, I'm, I'm kind of surprised to see the line as close as it is. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I also am taking Vicente Luque. Um, but I, I like both guys as, you know, top five, potentially top 10 kind of perennial guys that are going to be here at 170 for the next few years. I like both guys. I like Bolio Muhammad. I don't know that I think he's a future title holder. Uh, Vicente Luke, do I think he's a future title holder? No, um, but I like him more than Bolio Muhammad. Gumby, let's make you earn your money because I know you know all the up-and-comers. Let's talk about Gadzi Omar Gatsiev, a minus 130, taking on Kai Bo Hayo, who's a plus 110 dog. I thank you for spelling those names out for me phonetically. Talk to us <laughs> about these two guys coming off Dana White Contender Series who are being matched up here in a very odd move. We typically don't see two Contender Series guys matched up right away. They typically go against Gen Pop, to bo- borrow a phrase from prison. Um, odd to see them matched up right away in their first UFC fight. Let's hear it. Yeah, it is odd, and it's also odd that this somehow got the co-main event slot. Uh, seems real weird to me, and of course the UFC might shuffle it by the time we actually get to fight week, but or uh, fight day. Uh, but Kaibo Ohio is a guy who actually fought twice in one season of the Contender Series. He beat a guy who I think of very highly, and Aaron Jeffrey, uh, who who I think ultimately will be in the UFC one day. Looked really good doing it. Somehow didn't get a contract. They forced him to come back, and not only come back, but come back up a weight class. He looked good there doing it, too. Uh, and since then, had a fight canceled because, uh, I believe, visa issues. Omar Gadzayev uh, is, has the only knee bar finish in Contender Series history. Uh, he did that through both a really great takedown game and then a really weird leg entanglement that he wound up turning into a leg lock. I think he's so interesting on the ground, but ultimately, I think his, his stand-up game is a little dependent on being overly flashy and throwing a bunch of spinning shit and being kind of fancy. I think that bodes really badly for him against a guy like Kaibo Ohio, who can be so technical on the feet, so powerful on the feet, and ultimately, it's also going to make him setting up those takedowns even harder. So I'm actually going to go with the dog money here in uh, Kaibo Ohio. I think he just stays away from the takedown enough. He uses that big, powerful body of his to inflict damage on the feet and stay away from the weird spinny shit away from the weird spinny shit words to live by let's talk about devin clark who's a minus 160 favorite taking on william knight a plus 140 dog knight's coming off a loss to maxime grishin back in february of this year before that he had beat alonzo menafield beat fabio charant via ko uh <clears throat> lost to da un jung before that uh so in the ufc in total i won't take in dana white's contender series into the mix he's three and two and coming off a loss. Devin Clark has been in the UFC since 2016 and he is a 0.500, as we like to say, 50, 50 fighter. He's six and six on a two fight losing streak 
to Anthony Smith, lost via triangle choke, and Ian Kutaleba, lost via unanimous decision last September of 2021. So is William Knight the medicine that Devin Clark needs to stop this losing streak? Who you got? I actually am going to take William Knight. I'm going to go dog-dog here. Uh, part of the reason why, look, I, I like Devin Clark. I think he's got a lot of skills. But William Knight, first of all, this fight being a heavyweight, I think favors him. He's massive. He's so big. Not having to cut weight to fight a guy who, you know, not that Devin Clark doesn't have to cut weight to go to 205, but not the same kind of weight that, that William Knight does. I will also say this, just in general, I, I would say that, William Knight is the type of dude who capitalizes on mistakes. If you put make a mistake, he powers out and he hits you with something absolutely ferocious. We saw it on the Contender Series. We've seen it in all kinds of other places. If you make a mistake, he makes you pay for it. So, Devin Clark is the type of dude who's kind of made some mistakes. He made some against Anthony Smith, falling into that triangle. If you want to go all the way back to when Yablakovich beat him, he got beat by like a standing rear naked choke with no hooks in. Uh, just kind of slipping and, and just falling into a bad position. I think William Knight's the dude who punishes him for that. And I think the physicality advantage here for William Knight up at heavyweight is going to come into play. Let's get to our dog of the week. Uh, potential huge fan favorite. Um, someone who I think UFC fans are really rally behind if he has a, uh, a long career in the UFC. Chris Barnett's a plus 165. We like him as our dog of the week over Martin Budai. Yeah, I love uh, Chris Barnett, not just as an underdog this week, but just as a fighter. Um, he's he's so exciting to watch. I loved him when he was in Japan. I, you know, I was so happy to see the UFC signed him. I was bummed out when he got tapped out by uh, Ben Rothwell, and I was beside myself when he wheel-kicked Jean Vellante in the side of the head. So why do I like him against Martin Boudet here? Uh, like, Boudet comes off of the, the Contender Series being a guy who kind of – I'm not going to say he's like a wrestler type, but he loves to like smash up against the cage and like just hold the guy down. And do I think that that might work against Chris Barnett? Yes, but I also think he's going to continuously walk into range. And while he's got some uppercuts that could put Chris Barnett away, I just don't think that that's like the right style to knock out of Chris Barnett. Like, you know, just throwing from distance or takedowns are going to work. Could he shoot takedowns? Could he turn those into takedowns? Sure he could, but I think he's just going to stand and trade too long with Chris Barnett. Plus, part of me, this is a hope pick. I love Huggy Bear. Let's hope he gets it done. Boom. Uh, let's get to our parlay to play, and it's going to be Trey Ogden, a minus 140 favorite. Acela Nunes, a minus 200 favorite. So two favorites. Pair them together, though. It gets you some nice plus 155 odds. Break it down. So I like Estella Nunez a lot in the clinch. I think she looks really good in there. I think she strikes from distance really well. And she's fighting a, a woman in Sam Hughes who's 0-3 in the UFC and inexplicably getting a third shot. Now, some of that is because she took a couple of short notice fights, but she's like 6-5 and five in her career. And, and to see her, you know, with odds this close, I think Estella Nunez is an easy pick to put in any kind of parlay. I also like Trey Ogden here against Jordan Levitt. Jordan Levitt is a guy who 1,000% relies on submissions to win fights. He doesn't have much in the way of boxing. He's not even a particularly talented wrestler. And he's going up against a very talented wrestler and a guy who is going to have an enormous advantage on the feet. And I think Trey Ogden could choose to take it to the ground. But I think the more smart fight is just to, you know, use his wrestling to keep his feet blast Jordan Levin on the feet as much as he needs to. And I think at negative 140, that's an absolute steal for that guy. Boom. Another one in the books. 
Uh, let us know how we did. Did we do you right? Did we do you dirty? At Top Turtle MMA on Twitter and the Instagrams. Gumby, this train is a rumbling down the tracks. Where are we stopping next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Brandon Jenkins, who fights on this UFC Vegas 51 card. And we're going to get to that interview in just a moment. But before we do, I do have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Brandon Jenkins. All right, and joining me today is Brandon Jenkins, who fights Drakkar Close at UFC Vegas 51. That fight is on April 16th. So, Brandon, before we get into that fight with Drakkar Close, I did want to start by talking about your debut, because it is an absolutely insane story. You come off that knee knockout of Jacob Kilburn, and you get the turnaround with two days' notice and really only a few weeks from your fight. Talk to us about, like, what that was like for you. How, how, how did you feel through that fight week or that those fight days, I guess? Yeah, it was funny. I, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I got a call from my manager, Jason House, and uh, he was like, you're going to make your UFC debut uh, sometime this year. And, and it was, like, in late August when he told me that. And <clears throat> I believe it was about late August, maybe early September. Um three weeks after my PFL fight, I had been on vacation and he's like, uh, well, we got you out of your PFL contract. You probably weren't going to fight for like eight months. You had been on the shelf for, for too long. We didn't like that. And, uh, so we got you, we got you into UFC. We still no win. I was like, okay. And, uh, they're like, yeah, go back and get back in the gym as soon as you can. I was like, okay, I'll go back this week. And, uh, I went back Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday night, they called me and they asked me if I can make weight. And uh, that's not even the worst part. Uh, I'm training with Jordan Levitt for uh, for that week or whatever. We were, we were doing the hard sparring, hard wrestling. And he's like, you know what? I'm really craving some In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to be in the UFC like, okay, like, you know, two or three months advance or maybe short notice, but just a couple of months, not like that first a week back. And, uh so I'm like, yeah, let's go get in and out burger. And it was like right after class. And uh, I had two double doubles and a milkshake. <laughs> and and then uh, I'm driving home all fat, and, you know, and then Jason House calls me. He's like, can you make weight this week? And I was like, for what? And he's like, UFC. I was like, shit. Yeah, I could do that. I'm not going to say no. It's, it's, gonna, it's not going to be fun, but I believe I could do it. And uh, yeah, let me tell you what. That was the worst, like, 30 hours of my life. I had to literally go home, chug some water. Just, I just started running, you know, I was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. This is insane. And then, um, then the UFC needed all these medicals and I had to go stand in line at quest diagnostics in like a hundred degree weather, you know, and it was just like a line out the door cause everybody was getting COVID checked, you know, and it was just brutal. It was in, a, it was in like a horrible part of town too. Cause it was the only one I could do like same day, uh, testing and, I had to do that and make weight. And then uh, about three minutes into my fight, like my, my legs were just shot from the horrible weight cut. I think I did like 18 hour, or eighteen pounds 
like dry. I didn't get the water load or anything. So no water manipulation, just straight like, hey, cut this weight and these two cheeseburgers and milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, I... it was not it was not a good it was not a good performance. It was not a good feeling. I mean, the, the jitters, everything just kind of added up. So I, I got to ask about the, the milkshake and the burgers. I, I absolutely have to because you said you went home and you started running right away. You're, you're talking – you left In-N-Out Burger, drove home, and started running with all of that in you at that time? Yeah. No, I went across the street to the gas station I lived across from and uh, I bought like a gallon of water. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I just need to drink this and just run. And just hopefully some of the salt comes out and the fat, you know, and – I don't know. I just need to run. You know, I just took off running for like six miles, just trying to do something, you know? Yeah. You got to try yeah. something. So, uh, um, so, so let's, let's talk about this then, because obviously that's not the debut that you were envisioning and, and certainly not where you wanted to feel in fight shape. So tell me a little bit about this fight camp. Now you got a full fight camp ahead of you. We'll talk about your car closer later, but how are you physically feeling going into this one? Yeah. So, uh, my dietitian, at the time for my PFL fight, uh, he had me at like 1,800 calories. Uh, they knew I was going to have a big fight later that year. This is like after I won the cage aggression, super lightweight title. Uh, like, my manager's like, you're going to do PFL, Bellator, UFC. Um, and uh, so we got to stay on weight. My dietitian's like, here's 1,800 calories. Uh, we'll be good. This will keep you on weight. And then uh, <laughs> after the, the debut, uh, they're like, Hey, we need to put some muscle on you. You're too skinny. Uh, here's 3000 calories. So then I'm like force feeding myself like 3000 calories and I'm lifting weights and, uh, they put like nine pounds of muscle on me and, uh, they're like, this will help you cut weight also. And, uh, so yeah, I put on nine pounds of muscle. I feel good. Uh, I'm back down to, uh, the weight that I usually am walking around, you know, two weeks out, 171 ish. And, uh, but I'm still eating like 2,600 calories, almost 3,000, you know, and I'm, but like my metabolism is faster and I have muscles now. So I'm excited about this. I'm like a, hopefully, uh, I'll be strong, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so th that being a, a very new feeling to you, do, do you feel big differences in the gym? And if so, like what, what part of your game feels the most different with you now, you know, quite a bit bulked up? I really leaned on the, the PI and uh yeah they made me a lot more of an athlete i was i was kind of like a cardio guy like i i could never really um tell if i was a fast twitch guy if i was just a cardio guy so um i had all these flying knees and spinning elbow knockouts but uh i really i relied on like just being in really good shape and being an, uh being uh really tough you know so we just cleaned some stuff up um uh, this fight camp just like technically but also they made me more of an athlete, so I feel like I'm faster and stronger. I can't, I can't wait to like, you know, I'm excited about it. You know, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to seeing my performance in there. Maybe I'll feel good at 55 because, uh, you know, you go like, this is like 10 years of fighting, 10 years of cutting to 55 and 65, maybe trying some 70s out, and uh, I never really felt great at 55. I always felt like halfway through the fight, I felt kind of tired and. Um, it'd be interested to see if I actually feel good at 55, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, you mentioned that, you know, we, or we talked earlier about Drakkar Close. It's the name that they gave you coming off of, you know, like you said, not, not your best performance of your career, 
But Dracar Gloves is a big name, right? Like, he's a pretty well-established guy. He's somebody people know. What were sort of your thoughts when your manager came to you with that name as who the UFC wanted you to fight next? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think I already had some big performances outside of the UFC, so they kind of threw me in the deep end. So hopefully, maybe they just think highly of me and they want to see what I'm what I'm capable of. But, uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I think Dracar was uh, maybe be, maybe a top 20 guy at one time two years ago when he fought uh, Neil DeRouche. So, yeah, if I get a big win over him and uh yeah it puts me in a good spot absolutely now you know you mentioned the highlights you mentioned the flying knees and the spinning back fists and you know i always like to ask fighters before i let them go you got a prediction for me how do you see this one ending are we looking at another highlight for the human highlight reel um i don't know this guy uh i think all of his wins are by decision in the ufc i think he's five and two in the ufc all all decisions so He's going to be really hard to, to finish. I think that we're going to get fight of the night, and uh, it's, going to, it's going to be a nice, bloody fight for the fans. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. And once again, fans, this is Brandon Jenkins, who fights Drakkar Close at UFC Vegas 51. That fight is on April 16th. Brandon, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thanks. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Better Than Vegas, and, of course, Double Nickel Sports Betting. And as a friendly reminder, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.